Hello, everyone. It's Grace, your host of the Because Why Not podcast. So I've made a friend (laughs) recently um, through my life coaching, and his name is Jack. Hi, Jack. I'm talking to you. So I was talking to Jack about my podcast, and he was so sincere and interested and wanted to hear about it. But one of his first questions was, how do you address people when you start? And I said, hey, guys. (laughs) And Jack, who is so funny, said, no, no, you got to be better than that. Everybody does that. Everybody says, hey, guys. And he was talking about always you know, overhearing his wife's podcasts or listening to his own podcasts that he likes and how everyone starts off a podcast like that. And, um, we laughed and, uh, I actually talked to him on the phone (laughs) later that week and picked up the phone and said, Hey guys. And he was laughing, but calling to tell me that he had listened to my podcast and that he had really enjoyed it. And it means the world to me to hear from people I know and love and care about, you know, that they're listening and taking something away from it. And I, I appreciate knowing that people that I don't know are listening and taking something away from it too. And I uh, wish I could hear from all of them as well. But I loved hearing from you, Jack, that you appreciated the podcast. And I, in your honor, because you know I can do better and am learning a lot of new things and um, constantly testing myself and you know, taking on new challenges with life coaching and all of the things. I am going to do a different greeting every time I do this podcast and it will not be, hey guys, maybe it will be sometimes, but today I think I said, hello. So hello guys, here I am. Um, I want to just follow up on the podcast I did last time about um, having been sober for over six months or alcohol free, um, you know, choosing to live alcohol free. And I've gotten such great feedback about that podcast. And I'm just so, so thrilled that it is touching people and resonating. And, um, I'm here to chat with any of you. Many of you have my phone number. Many of you don't. Um, I need to find a way to create show notes with my email and I'm working on sort of connecting all the dots with life coaching and with this and I will be able to have a page about the podcast and show notes, but um, I am open to hearing from any of you and starting conversations and I want to share my email address, which is gracebeasonlifecoach at gmail.com. So it's Grace. Beeson, B-E-A-S-O-N, lifecoach at gmail.com. Please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you um, and and help in any way that I can or share resources um, or just have a conversation. 
I want to follow up on something I mentioned in that podcast about books that I've read, because you all know by now, if you've been listening to all of these, that I read the book Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington sometime in the winter, and that was a huge launching point for me in um, trying out sober, curious living or alcohol-free living. But I want to just share a couple more with you. Um, I have not read all of these, but I have read reviews of all of these, and I have read a lot of feedback on these, and they look like amazing books, one of which is not even out yet, and I can't wait to read it. Um, So I'm just going to share this with you. These are two that are already out. One is called Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, and she also has an amazing Instagram that's just at Holly, and she also has one called Join Tempest, and she is um, an incredible voice and leader in the um, alcohol-free movement for women. Another one is called A Happier Hour by Rebecca Weller a happier hour. And there's one coming out in January, 2020 that I cannot wait to read called we are the luckiest. And that's by Laura McCowan, M C K O W E N. We are the luckiest. So those are some specific books. Um, now I'm going to shift into what I want to talk about today. So I am famous for binging a particular TV show and it trickling into my everyday life and conversation and it being the only thing that I can talk about slash make references to or relate to because it is the only thing outside of my real life that I'm paying attention to. Um, This happened when years ago I decided to Um, watch diners, drive-ins, and dives every night before bed. How ridiculous is that? But I thought it was like the most soothing show ever. And it was like always on my mind. Then I decided when I was pregnant with Court, my first son, eight years ago, that I would watch all of 90210 from start to finish, which is a lot of shows. Um, And so I was deeply ingratiated in that And really the pinnacle was when I decided to watch Friday Night Lights and I watched the whole entire series in a matter of weeks and it was the only thing I could think about or talk about. Um, Yes, a lot of that was due to Tim Riggins. Absolutely. No question. Tim Riggins forever. But it was a great show. And I remember when I finished the series... I was talking to my friend, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. And I was going on about having finished Friday Night Lights. And I was like so devastated and I couldn't believe it was over. And oh my gosh, I'm about to start crying because I'm laughing so hard. Um, She looked at me and she held my hand and she said, I know, Grace. Friday Night Lights is a very special show. It was hard for all of us to let go of. I don't know if you remember saying that to me, but it was so funny and so true. And, um, 
yeah, Friday Night Lights. I don't know. I there was something about it, like all all around amazingness. And sometimes I think about watching again, and then I'm like, I just can't do that. Like I just can't go there again. But I just have this sense that Coach Taylor would be the person I'd be interested in more so at this stage, not Tim Riggins. Um, and yeah, Coach Taylor, he was super dreamy too. So. Okay, guys, so this has happened to me many times with many shows. The Good Wife is a good example. I went through this phase where, like, I couldn't stop watching The Good Wife, and then I was, like, um, in this brief, tiny little moment in time of my life. Like, it was really brief where I liked to be on Twitter. I never have really liked Twitter. I thought I needed it for my business, but... Turns out it was only so that I could tweet Josh Lawrence when I was watching The Good Wife and like respond to his tweets and kind of be like a little bit psycho about wanting to be in contact with Josh Lawrence. Is that his name? Josh Lawrence, whoever, the the attractive lawyer who um, she worked with and then dated and then he was killed in the courtroom. And I've just always loved him. He was in Dead Poets Society. Um, and he actually went to my theater camp in upstate New York, Stage Door Manor, where um, child actors went to become actors. Um, anyways, okay, The Good Wife. So this all leads me to, there have been many in between, I'll spare you, that my sister told me to start watching Shit's Creek. Do you know what Schitt's Creek is? It's S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S Creek. Okay. It's a Canadian TV show. I don't know where it's played in real life, but I have been watching it on Netflix. Apparently it's been on since 2016 and they are about to start um, their sixth and final season. There are currently only four seasons on Netflix and I'm wrapping up the fourth season and I've watched all of this really pretty quickly because once I got into it, I could not stop. And the shows are about 20 minutes. So it's a perfect amount of time. And let me just say that this show is absolute perfection. I know I'm not the only one who thinks this because what little I pay attention to in pop culture anymore revealed to me that they were, um, nominated for Emmys. And, um, I really get most of my information about it because I started following Dan Levy on Instagram, who is one of the stars of the show and like a shining golden light of comedy brilliance and the gay best friend that I, um, am working on manifesting in my life in Durham right now. So he is, everything. I mean, and so his dad is Eugene Levy, who you may know from American Pie, but also you may know from shows like, or movies like Best in Show or any of the Christopher Guest movies. If you haven't watched any of the Christopher Guest movies, do yourself a favor and do it. There's a cast of characters. These these actors are all in all of these movies, and then they bring in other people. But but you'll see a lot of the same people, like Parker Posey, Christopher Guest himself, Eugene Levy, 
this brilliant woman, Catherine O'Hara, who also is in Schitt's Creek. So Eugene Levy plays the dad. Catherine O'Hara is the mom. Um, Dan Levy, who is Eugene Levy's son in real life, plays his son in the show. And then this brilliant Canadian actress plays the daughter, whose name is Alexis. And I'm so sorry that I don't know her name offhand. Um, But there are a bunch of different people in this show. But the premise of the show is that this family, the Roses, um, who were billionaires from a family business called Rose Video, which... I guess was like Blockbuster, um, pretend Blockbuster, the biggest video um, store franchise in the country. Um, They were billionaires and their money manager never paid taxes. So the first episode of the show is showing their, um, you know, 400,000 square foot mansion and pool and tennis courts, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the marble interior and just the grand scale of everything and the feds coming to the door to take all of their stuff because no taxes had ever been paid. So it shows them trying to gather as many personal effects as they can in 15 minutes because they have to get out and they have absolutely nothing left to their name except for what they grabbed in those 15 minutes. Um, and this small town called Schitt's Creek, which they own. And it's the only thing not collected or taken away by the feds because it has virtually no value. No, no one thought it had any value. So you hear Eugene Levy in this first episode, I'm not giving anything away. This is the first episode where, uh, Eugene Levy, um, is saying, I bought it for my son as a joke in 1991, um, this town, Schitt's Creek, he bought it as a joke. Well, now it's their only asset. So they go to the town to live because it's their only asset. And with the idea in mind that they are going to sell the town. So they make friends with, um, or get to know the mayor of the town, um, who's hilarious. And the mayor of the town is kind enough to put them up in this motel um, at no cost, gives them two rooms. So this family of four is living in two rooms, two connected rooms in this motel in Schitt's Creek in the middle of nowhere. Um, I think they apparently used to live in New York City or somewhere nearby, right outside of New York City. So I keep imagining that maybe they're in upstate New York somewhere. Um, Who knows? Maybe Pennsylvania, because they do in one episode refer to the Mennonites. Um, But anyway, they're now living in this town. And so the show is about what unfolds as they make their way through life in this small town when they are unable to sell it and time is going by. And what they're doing is starting from scratch and you watch them creating social lives and jobs and experiences in a place where there's virtually nothing to do. There are no chain restaurants, no chain stores, seemingly nothing nearby. 
um, except for this town called Elmdale that they refer to, which is like the, you know, quote unquote, big city um, that you have to drive to for 45 minutes to go do anything. Um, so they're in this town that has like a little beat main street and one cafe that they go to called cafe Tropicana, which is hilarious because they are clearly in the middle of nowhere. And it's always so funny when you're in the middle of nowhere and they try and create something tropical, which I've seen before in Ohio where I went to college. Um, And so you see these dynamics of, you know, the people that the daughter dates and the people that the son dates and, you know, the way that the mom who was a famous soap opera star in the nineties, um, you know, the way that she sort of weaves her way into, um, the quote unquote social scene of Schitt's Creek and, um, you know, gets involved with the town council and with the jazz gals, the local <laughs> acapella group. And, um, it's just, oh my gosh, it's so funny and so brilliantly written by Eugene and Dan Levy in real life. They write it. And I just love picturing them writing it together and just laughing so hard together. Um, It is so funny and so witty and so smart and so just engaging in all of the right ways. But it's really gotten me thinking about it in sort of a really deeper and more meaningful way, which is that we're watching this family who has always had everything at their fingertips. They talk about all of their homes and the famous people they canoodled with and their jet and their fundraiser galas and their private chefs and their cars and on and on and on and on and on. All the stuff, right? All this stuff they had, all these experiences. But they always reference how they didn't really know each other and they didn't ever spend time together and that the kids were always off doing their own thing. The kids are now, let's say, 28 and 30 years old in the show. They are grown adults, but they've never really had a job and, you know, seemingly didn't go to college and were just like partying and you know, the son had a stream of successful galleries, which he thought were successful, but he, you know, learns that his parents were subsidizing everything. And, um, you know, they've just had everything in terms of stuff and experiences and money and assets and quote unquote friends, but they were completely and totally disconnected from one another. And when they find themselves in this town, guess what? The people from their past life completely abandon them. Everyone leaves. No one has any interest in maintaining any sort of connection or relationship to them um, because they are no longer a part of their social scene and they have zero dollars and they've been all over the news as having lost everything and, um, no one helps them. And while I do find that part of the story a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit far-fetched because 
I think in real life, people have family um, or they have friends who don't care about their stuff and want to help them. There probably are people out there um, who who have friendships and family that um, family relationships that are based almost entirely on more superficial things. Um, and so maybe this is just playing up to that extreme that when they lose their identity as it relates to wealth and success and stuff and notoriety and social stature and all of that, their friends just leave them. They, they want nothing to do with them. So they're virtually alone. You know, all they have are the people in this town, if they're going to create any relationships with them and each other. So they are left to find each other again, which is what they're doing. And it's amazing because in this comedy, you're seeing them experience this real humanity and these very real and deep emotions um, that get really, um, yeah, real and sentimental and um, heartfelt and vulnerable in many moments in this show where they are really learning and discovering each other for the first time, especially as it relates to the parents with the children and the children to each other, because the brother and sister are sharing a bedroom and getting to know each other for the first time without just sort of, you know, knocking into each other in um, San Tropez at a club. So it's really incredible the way that it unfolds. And it's gotten me thinking so much about who we are without our stuff, you know, how much of our identity is wrapped up in our house and our cars and our clothes and our vacations and where those are and, um, who our friends are and where we go, what we do, what our careers are, how much money we make, what that all means, what, what importance we give to all of that. Um, with ourselves in our own family unit and in our broader family structure, um, and most certainly in our social structure with our friends, in the schools where our kids go to, in the careers that we have, and in our communities, and then also in our friends from our former lives, where we used to live, where we went to school, where we grew up. And what that means to us, you know, how we are um, sort of showing ourselves um, and presenting our lives to people in our worlds. And while it could be the case that, you know, there's a lot of money in the bank and in investments and savings and, um, you know, in equity in a home or many homes or cars or that, you know, there are private schools, there are great vacations, there are this and that, that could all be a reality as it was for the roses. But what's going on inside the house? You know, is there disconnection? Are you, um, living a wholehearted life separately and together individually as an individual and or together. 
And what kind of disconnection can all that stuff create? If there's always this focus on more and different and better and looking for your fulfillment from the outside, from your vacations, from your travels, from the people you're surrounding yourself with, from the things you're buying and wearing and consuming. If you are creating and seeking and finding your connection or your value or your self-worth through those things, which are just things, is it real? And of course, people aren't things. You could be seeking connection through people, but if you're seeking connection through people or with people as it relates to the sharing or acquisition or common connection of things or experiences, is that a real connection? In other words, if you're connecting over wanting or having or acquiring the same expensive fashion or connecting over the fact that you only vacation in Tulum and that's the only place you go on holiday and the only place you want to talk about. And so you're friends with these friends because they go there too. And that's what you have in common. Not much more than that. Do you have in common? Then that's superficial. That's about something that is on the surface. That isn't about something that, um, connects your hearts and connects your spirits and your souls about becoming closer and getting to really know each other. Um, and I know that I'm making broad statements here and sort of sweeping generalizations, but I'm trying to make the point that it is so commonplace and so easy, even if we're not billionaires, to place a focus on the stuff and the things and on being consumers and on acquiring in order to present our lives in a certain way to the world around us and to our communities. And when the focus is on that stuff rather than on who we actually are and what we're actually feeling and experiencing and perhaps suffering or hurting or struggling with in life, the connections we make, you know, are not based on things that are really ultimately meaningful and serving the greater um, good and purpose of your life, which is to live wholeheartedly and to experience joy and make authentic connections with yourself and with people around you by being exactly who you are. And what's so amazing in watching the roses is that they're still wearing the couture fashion. You know, they're still referencing certain things from their past because that's what they've known, but they are otherwise stripped down of all of the things who made them who they were and who they, you know, thought that they were and believed themselves to be 
based on these items. So now they're here as four human beings, very well-dressed, attractive human beings with nothing other than themselves, getting to know other people and each other as their truly authentic selves, because that's all they have. And it's amazing to watch. And it really, as I said, clicked in with me over the last maybe 10 episodes that we're watching um, deep, intense, hilarious, vulnerable, sensitive, emotional, did I say that? Real human connection. Watching people fall in love for the first time, make friends like real, true, sincere friends for the first time. Um, you know, focus on school for the first time and wanting to do well, focus on creating businesses from nothing, focus on making friends when they don't care about the stuff you have, focus on being vulnerable, um, trying out new things, moving through all kinds of discomfort in a place you don't recognize as a person you don't recognize, surrounded by things you don't recognize or understand, and finding your place because all you have is you. And your willingness to open up in a new place, in a new way, with a clean slate as yourself. And so I wonder, you know, are we capable of doing that? We have all of our stuff. We have all of our things and our ways of moving through life and going to these schools and going to our events that we go to and spending time with our friends and taking vacations. And we, that all means different things to each of us. We all do that in different ways, unless we are in an environment where we are, you know, surrounded by people who are exactly the same and doing all the same things. And of course, there are plenty of people in this country who, who live lives like that. Um, and, and, you know, even though, um, my life looks very different from a lot of my friends and my friends' lives look very different from mine in all sorts of ways, from where we live to number of children to schools we send our kids to, to the way we vacation, to the way we dress, to what's in the bank, to what, where we came from, you know, all, all kinds of things. Um, you know, our lives look very, very different, but we are still presenting our lives to each other in a certain way. And so it just gets me thinking, like, if it were to all disappear... You know, one day, if no taxes were paid, or if a hurricane hit, or if um, some unforeseen thing happened, if it were to all disappear and we had the clothes on our back, would we be able and willing to take the clean slate and just be who we are and maintain those connections would they still feel as good or would we want new and different ones and never want to return to the old ones? What would we learn? What would we feel? 
where would we go? You know, what changes would we make if we were given the opportunity, which is really what the roses were given. This is what they're starting to get to understand is that this is an opportunity. This is actually this great gift of actually coming back and finding one another. What would we find if we had to rely on only ourselves and what was inside of ourselves and not on anything else? What would that look like? It's pretty amazing to think about that, isn't it? I can tell you personally that I've realized a lot in this year of self-discovery and looking inside and um, looking a lot at my own self-worth and value and um, self-love and all of that, that I spent years feeling like I needed and wanted certain things in order to feel a certain way and in order to put myself out to the world in a certain way. And that felt very real to me. And it felt very reasonable too. I thought it was completely normal to want a certain kind of house and to want a certain kind of education for my children and to want certain vacations and to want, um, just whatever, all that stuff. I thought that was totally normal. Like, well, this is what I want. It feels right to want this stuff. And it feels right to want to have this stuff um, to be a person who is or appears to be a certain way in life. I really thought that was really normal. And I, I, I know that I can say that it felt really normal because... I came from a place and grew up in such a way that um, having all that stuff and acquiring all of that stuff and, um, you know, wanting all of it was very commonplace. And uh, people that I was surrounded by didn't want for anything. There wasn't any sort of struggle um, financially that I ever witnessed. And that's kind of hard to say, feels uncomfortable to say. Um, because, you know, the reality of my life is much more, I guess, normal, you might say, whatever normal is, I guess it would say it's more, um, feels more just, sort of average where there are highs and lows and good times and bad times. And as it relates to, I guess, finances and, and that kind of, um, real life and struggle, um, it's just been much more normal. And, um, I'm not, I don't live in an environment where there are only people with tremendous abundance and wealth. And what I do know is that, with the tremendous abundance and wealth and people having everything as it relates to homes and cars and vacations and private schools and opportunities in that sense, I do know that there was tremendous pain and struggle behind closed doors, closed doors. And there was 
addiction and there was depression and there was divorce and there was infidelity and there was abuse and there was all kinds of stuff going on that is very commonplace every day, quote unquote, normal, not, not at all aspirational, you know, dark, yucky stuff going on in those places where there was beauty and abundance in terms of um, the way people were living. So I absolutely know that that wealth and abundance doesn't create connection and, um, you know, mental health or any kind of health or positive relationships or any of those things. I know that the two are not equal, but I do know that in a life of abundance, it's easier to hide the darkness and it's easier to cover up the darkness with stuff and experiences and surrounding yourself with people who are distractions or with um, medicating with pills or drugs or alcohol or with just always acquiring more because it feels good to acquire more um, and it feels easier than looking inside at where the real pain is. So there's a lot to this. And, um, you know, I, in my own life and in my own way that I live, which is, you know, very similar to, um, a lot of the way, uh, people, a lot of many, many people in this country live, I would say, um, in a nice, wonderful, lovely way, but a very relatable way. It's still possible to, cover up the pain and disconnection, um, addiction, struggles, whatever kind of struggles they are. Um, It's easy to cover up all that stuff with stuff and with um, just kind of creating a certain kind of a life that you present in a certain way so that it seems always like everything is okay, which is what a lot of people do. And what I'm getting at is that hopefully we won't, any of us, reach a time where everything is taken away from us because certainly life is a lot easier when we have our roofs over our heads and when we have, you know, our money in our bank and in our savings accounts and in our investments and um, we are able to do the things we need and want to do. Um Hopefully we'll never face the loss of all of that. But our jobs, I think, our real work in our heart and soul is to have all of this stuff and even have the ability to acquire more, but make the focus instead on connecting with one another on a real level with our hearts and with vulnerability and without fear and with love and with acceptance and openness and realness without the connection 
being about what we have or don't have or where we've been or not been. And um, that I absolutely think is conscious, deliberate work. And I can speak for myself because that's what I do here, um, that this is the first year of my adult life that it has connected with me, that um, my value is not in what my house looks like or where I go on vacation or how much money I have in the bank or what I wear or where my kids go to school or what my job is or where my husband works or any of that. That's not my value. That's not where my value lies it's certainly not where my family's value lies and it's not the sort of value at all I want my children to associate with their own worth. That is absolutely not where their worth comes from. And I'm learning so much about the value of me as a human being and what I as a human being as my particular self, me as me, what my value is, is what I am as me giving to the world, nothing else. And I know now that it's not by the weddings I plan. It's not through how big or grand or, um, expensive or complex those are, um, that my value in life is going to be in, in moving forward in the future, what my value is going to be, because it has been with weddings and events and that has, you know, had its own value. And I'm not, um, taking away from that because I'm proud of what I've done, but I know that moving forward, my value in life is going to come from what I am giving and am doing, um, as myself, as what I'm putting out there, as me with this podcast, what I am giving to others through coaching them and um, the other things that I hope to do as me. And I hope that what um, I leave you with today, because we all do different things for a living, but we are all moving through life um, with jobs and houses and many of us with children and many of us with families and many of us with lots of other things that are distractions and, um, things in our life that we have to focus on. I just hope that, um, you might take away the thought of your value being really in who you are and not in what you have or where you go or what you do and how you might share more of who you are and make connections, more connections, stronger connections, um, different connections based on who you are and know that your value is really in who you are and that you are, you are great. So this was longer than I thought it would be or that I intended, but it kind of, um, 
unfolded for me here. And I hope that you take something away from it. And whoever in a million years could have imagined that it could have come from Schitt's Creek. But I would be willing to bet that these two hilarious men who write this show, um, who are obviously so brilliant, are not unaware of the fact that they are getting to the they're getting to the point of these four characters living wholehearted lives and connecting with each other on a very real level for the first time and that's the takeaway and it is amazing i am here for it so thank you sister mary for turning me on to this incredible show um it's awesome. Even my 12-year-old niece watches it, and it's funny because when certain things come up in it, I think, okay, wow, okay, she's learning about this too because it does cover all the subjects that you can imagine. Um, so go watch it if you're not already and think about living wholeheartedly and how you might do that a little bit more. Um, take some time for yourself and, um, just, yeah, enjoy this cooler weather that's coming with October, some crispy leaves and fall sunshine and cooler temps are coming our way. And I'm just sending so much love and big hugs to all of you. Thank you for being here with me. Send me an email with some feedback if you ever want to. And please feel free to leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or um, wherever you listen to this because I'm in the next phase of trying to get this out to more people who can connect with it and enjoy it and um, still trying to get on a couple of big platforms, including Stitcher. So I need some more reviews and share it with people. Feel free to do that. And feel free to send me show ideas via via email. So thanks, um, as always, for listening. Lots of love to you. Have a great day. Bye.